having a gratitude practice, we know supports people holistically and like makes increases their happiness because when you start having and identifying those things you're grateful for, you are then attuning your brain to see those things more than the negative and pessimistic things in your life. So I always say to my clients, the day that was your hardest day, the day that you felt like was just crap and nothing good happened, that is the day you 100% must do your gratitude journal. Because there is something in the shitstorm of what that day was that was good. Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness, covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleaford. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Happiness Podcast, and we are so excited today to bring to you Natasha Wilch. She is a doctor in physical therapy specializing in concussions, and it wasn't always that way, but she found her love through concussions from her own um, family experiences and realizing that a lot of people experience concussions and either don't realize it or don't get it taken care of, and it can really be detrimental to your health and well-being and honestly overall happiness. And that's why we have her on to discuss uh, what it can be like to experience a concussion and kind of the misconceptions around concussions. And if you at all (laughs) feel like you have had one, please, please go to a doctor, reach out to Natasha and please see if uh, the you know, your doctor can help you with concussions. And she actually gives you some great signs too to say like, hey, if your doctor is telling you to do X, Y, Z, things like stay in a dark room, don't look at screens, uh, you know, these aren't actually the things that help with concussions. So if your doctor is telling you to do that, you might want to consult a different doctor. And I think one other thing that was pretty eye-opening is that concussions are curable. And I didn't know that. And I thought you kind of had you know, a little bit of brain damage and you kind of live with it, but it's actually curable. Uh, to find out more information, obviously listen into this podcast. And Natasha's story was really great because she wasn't always in concussions and she found her way there just by pursuing, you know, her passions in the field of physical therapy. And it led her to something that she absolutely loves today. And I think that's a great lesson to take away. And also she was ahead of the curve. She has won Entrepreneur, uh, I'm going to say this, hopefully I say this right, but Canadian Entrepreneur of the Year. And that's so incredible because she was someone who was an innovator in her field. She was doing online telehealth before anyone else was doing it. And a lot of doctors were telling her, this is stupid. You don't care about your clients. How can you give them the same care that you can give them in person? And she's like, if I can help more people because they can't you know, get to a doctor because their nearest doctor is 40, 50 miles away and I can help someone, then this is actually an incredible service I can provide. And because she was ahead of the curve, when COVID hit, all the doctors were coming to her and saying, wow, teach me how to do this. And she ended up having, uh, creating a course that was like a $90,000 launch. And that's obviously something that's close to my heart because that's what I teach personal trainers to do. Um, but anyway, uh, her entrepreneurial spirit, um, her love for making people uh, healthy again and loving their life. And it goes way beyond concussions. A lot of the stuff you might not think like journaling and meditation and gratitude and things like that. So if you know anyone who's experienced a concussion, please share this episode with them. As you'll hear, it goes way beyond just sports. You know, people don't realize they've had a concussion 
or they're not getting it taken care of, like I mentioned earlier. And we want people to live a happy life. So please share this episode with them and hopefully they can find help and get their concussion cured. And if there's any questions, of course, reach out, reach out to Natasha. Her information will be in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's please welcome in Natasha Wilch. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Modern Happiness. We're super excited to have Natasha Wilch on the podcast today. Natasha, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I am so good. Taylor, you good? Doing incredible. Best day of the year today. Love to hear it. All right, Natasha, we're going to start off with some rapid fire so the guests can get to know you a little bit. First, we like to start off. What is one thing you're grateful for? Oh, you know, this should never be a hard one. I am grateful today. Um lesser heat and beautiful blue skies. It was a freaking heat wave here last week and I almost died. (laughs) Nice. Nice. It's good. Yeah. A little cool weather. It's always nice. Okay. Uh, Natasha, where are you from and where do you live now? So I was born or I grew up in Cranbrook, British Columbia in Canada. And I currently live in Nanaimo, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. Very cool. Tell you, you've been to Canada? No, I've never been to Canada. Oh, wow. Maybe we got to take a trip. The island is gorgeous. Yeah. I, I went to Vancouver, but not Vancouver Island. Yeah. Which... Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver's, I lived in Vancouver for 13 years, which is great. Um, but Vancouver Island is just like, there's so many gems, especially if you love like lakes, surfing, water, skiing, mountains. Yeah. Nice. All of yeah. Them. I didn't, I went there with my ex. We didn't get a chance. We just didn't have time to get there, but we did do a nude beach in Vancouver, which was, it's quite an experience. <laughs> was my free. first experience at a beach was a nude beach without realizing it when I was 19 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Fun. We were very confused. Let's just say that when we showed up at the beach. Yeah, for so sure. This is what beaches are like. Interesting. <laughs> right? Straight down from the university. Except even that, we're like, we were looking for a path to go check out this beach, brand new, like 19-year-old newbies at UBC. And the woman was like, oh, you just take this path. So we crossed the street, couldn't find the path anywhere. So we decided to just kind of like navigate our own way down this ridiculous hill to the beach. So we fell, slid down a mud bank for most <laughs> of it get to the beach, look around and we're, there's nude people. And we were just like, what? And then, but the worst part is we literally looked five feet over and there was the stairs yeah. down mm. to the beach. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I know exactly what you're talking about. There was a long staircase down to the yeah. new beach. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. What is your favorite thing to do for fun? Oh, I love reading, dancing and hanging out at the BMX track with my son. Perfect. Nice. Okay. Most used emoji. The smiley face. Love that. Classic smiley face. We definitely love that. Um, what is your walk-up song? Ooh. Like, as if I were, like, going on a stage walk-up song? Like, pump people up walk-up song? Yeah, pump yourself up. Yeah, like, stage. I, I always give the example of, like, if you're a boxer or you're a baseball player, you get your walk-up song. So, right now, it would be This Is Me from The Greatest Showman's uh, soundtrack. Okay. I don't know it. Do you know it, Taylor? No. Okay. If you like musicals and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which okay, is got, nice. Gotcha. Nice. Deuce is nodding her head. Um, <laughs> awesome. So you love reading. What is your favorite book? They change all the time. Right now I'm reading Do the Work by The Holistic Psychologist. And it's mm. awesome. Um, literally reading switches between a good like trashy romance novel that I will devour in a day 
um, which has been a while since I've read one of those, to like a business or personal development growth book, which is where I do the work comes in. Um, I'm also reading Winning, which is awesome. And then I also read a crap ton of scientific papers. So. Nice. Makes sense. That's good. <laughs> uh, do you have a nickname? Not anymore, really. Most people just call me Natasha. I have some friends that call me Nat. Okay. Well, so what not I mean. anymore. What were your nicknames? Oh, gosh. Great. Well, growing up, I get called like Tazzy. Um, Tash was always what I got called growing up. Um, people used to call me Tasha Talk a lot. <laughs> I did not love that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ready, because I am a redhead, was the oh, other nice. thing I got called. Nice. So. Awesome. Okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? A pediatric surgeon, mm, which is not at all what I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, still in the medical world, the medical world. It was, you know, it was the day I realized that I would have to do OCHEM and biochem in university and physics, yeah. but I was like, the medical school is not happening. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> no. All right. Our final question. Uh, what is your superpower? I, in my like health world have this kick-ass ability to step back and look at a whole picture and carve a path. Mm, nice. I remember actually we talked about that on our call. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. Maybe we'll dive deeper into that, but uh, let's sorry. So, so awesome. Let's kick this off um, in, we send you an intake form and you said, who's Natasha? You said you're a devoted energetic physical therapist on a mission to help others recover from, from concussions and live well. And I would just love to kind of hear your journey into this. I remember when we spoke uh, when I first met and we had our call, um, you said a lot of this came from your own healing journey. So I'd love to hear mm -hmm. about that and then how that developed into, you know, you have your own clinics and you have your online stuff. And I think we'll talk about maybe entrepreneurship a little bit later, yeah. but yeah, tell me about the, your journey through this. Yeah. So I think like you and I talked about on our call earlier too, like my under, my true understanding of the passion that I really have between working with the concussion population only, I've been passionate about it for a long time. But the, the, that like final like click or connection for me of where that comes from only truly happened this year. Mm. Um, and so I've been a physical therapist for 10 years um, and I graduated from the University of British Columbia and I started in neurological care, but I worked a lot with stroke and Parkinson's and spinal cord and that sort of thing. Um, and I worked in public practice. So in the hospital system and in someone else's private practice. And then when my husband was transferred to the island for work, we came here and there was nowhere for me to work. <laughs> so uh, my son was four months old at the time. So I was lucky enough that I was on mat leave. Um, and so I started looking around and it was the question of, well, do I try to go back to the hospital system, which I like, I did, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, or do I try to do my own thing? Um, and there was this big gap in the Nanaimo community if there really wasn't any care for neurological people, um, which was what I was still doing at the time. I wasn't doing concussion then. So with my four month old son, my husband does shift work, he's a police officer. So there was this period of time where I said, okay, I need you to take a block off, which then is like 12 days. Um, I said, because I need to write a business plan. Mm -hmm. And my son uh, wouldn't take a bottle. <laughs> so this posed a bit of an issue. So literally my husband took the day off work. I would get up in the morning, I'd feed my son, I'd drive to the library, I'd work for a few hours, come home, feed my son, go back to the library, work, come home, feed my son. And we did that for like eight to 12 days straight wow. so that I could get this business plan written and get the, cause I needed a startup loan. <laughs> yeah. So got the loan, which was great. Um, and I started symphony. So symphony rehab is my clinic. Um, and so I was doing great treating concussion, not concussion, sorry, stroke and spinal cord and all that stuff. 
And then I got a referral for a concussion. And I remember she was someone who was working with an occupational therapist and she just wasn't recovering like you would typically expect a concussion. She was into the persistent stage and the OT didn't really know who to refer to. And so the thought process was, well, Natasha's the neurophysio, concussions affect the brain. So let's send her to Natasha. And I didn't really have a clue what to do (laughs) because treating a concussion is not the same as treating a stroke. Um, And so what it did, what that did is literally like, I think I assessed her that day. And so like scoured my like student brain. I'm like, okay, what do I need to look at? Um, And then I took a course that weekend um, because I'm very much that mentality that like if my client's paying me to help them with something, I better know what the damn frig I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So took a course that weekend and have never looked back. Um, I kind of dove down the rabbit hole in terms of treating concussion. I will, I will never forget who my first two clients were, their names, what they look like, what they do. Like, I will never forget those two people. Um, because I'm also very clear with both of them. I said, this is new to me. So if you're willing to go on this journey with me, I will pour everything I can to help get you better. And they were on board. Um, so I will never forget those two people. Um, but what started happening is I became very passionate about working with the concussion population. And I started working less with some of my other neuro population and more with my concussion. And I've never had, a, like I've had, I think I had one concussion when I was 18 years old snowboarding and it was over in like three days. Hmm. So for me, it was figuring out where, like where was this fire coming from within me? Like my goal is to be a force for change in this world of concussion. I wanna improve education. I wanna improve awareness and I want people's lives better. So to have that fire, <laughs> there is something deeper to it, right? And so this is where like we talked about too, Matt, about like my own healing journey. And it was this recognition of when I was 17, a very close family member of mine had a, had a concussion. So that was 21 years ago. So at that time and age, families weren't educated. People didn't, weren't educated on the effects of it, right? Like my family member didn't understand why they were having memory issues or irritability issues or would kind of like blank out. And as family members, we had no idea what any of that was. So it caused a huge rift in the relationship between me and my family member. And I ended up moving out of my family home for a little bit um, and kind of doing my own thing. And then I just joke with the last podcast I did, I'm like, it shows my age. I don't know how old you guys are, but my, <laughs> my family member and I started to rebuild our relationship through MSN Messenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah okay like oh, we, we still know, know what that is we okay. yeah we're both right. 31 so yeah oh sweet okay yeah. i said that to 30. someone the other day and they were like what's that and i was like oh all right i said text messaging came out when i was in university you guys <laughs> yeah 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 um so we started rebuilding our relationship via amazon messenger mm. um and then when i was in university um i was assaulted and so my life was kind of turned upside down so like struggles with like, who the heck am I? What am I doing with my life? Um, You know, you look fine on the outside, but you feel like you're crumbling a bit on the inside, like all this stuff. And I would phone home sometimes like two to three times a day just to have someone who like a voice that was comforting on the other end of that line. And the person on the other end of that phone every single time was the family member who'd had the brain injury. Mm they stood beside me and walked that path with me for a good chunk of time. (laughs) And so for me, it's this. And then when I was, and so then like you, like that time passes 
And then now I'm this clinician in a clinic and I have a family and I'm married and these concussion clients start coming into my clinic and they start sharing these other things that come with concussion of, yeah, there's the dizziness, but there's also the like, what the heck does this mean for my career? What does this mean for who I am? Here's the challenges that are happening with my family. Here's the issues I'm having with my wife. And for me, it was just like the melding of all of my worlds. It like, there was the personal side that I just related to so strongly, but then there was the actual like clinical, clinical, <laughs> clinical side in me too, that I was like, this is my jam. Like, I love understanding the inner networkings of the brain and how it connects and how that can relate to you and function. And while we're doing this, let's make sure your life is okay too. So yeah, like literally like this journey of like this healing process I've been on, like led me to actually like finding that connection for myself of being like, okay, yeah. It's like, I always thought it was like the clinical piece. I loved it. And like, oh no, here's the emotional piece that ties in. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so awesome that you're able to tie that. I think that's such a great thing to, to a lot of stuff I talk to my clients about is like your best position to help the person you once were because you yeah. know what it's like to go through that stuff. And there's deeper stuff than just like, you know, a lot of my clients are personal trainers. It's like your clients don't just want to lose 30 pounds. There's a lot more going on there's there. Deeper levels. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take, kind of take, take a step back as far as concussions go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what we talked about is like a lot more people probably have concussions than they realize. Um, and they think it's like, Oh, just, you know, especially in the media, it's like just these football players getting them. Uh, can you talk about like, are, do you have numbers? Like how many people experience concussions and Oh God, I think the last thing in the States was it, I think at the range is between like 1.8 to 3.7 million people in the U S alone have concussions yeah. a year. Um, and that's reported concussions. Right. Right. So guaranteed there's concussions that are unreported in those statistics as well. Um, so it's millions like in, in the U S alone. Um, and it was funny because we were just talking about this someone recently too, of, I did a post on my Instagram recently of, I didn't think I had a concussion because, mm. Um, and one of the first, like one of the most common responses was because I don't play sports. Yeah. And it's, you know, like the number one cause of concussion is falls, right? And then you have motor vehicle accidents and then you have workplace accidents and then you just have these random things. And then of course, sport is a factor in there too, but it's not something that is just a sport injury at yeah. all. Yeah. Can you explain what a concussion is? Oh, that's probably a good thing to do. Hey, yeah. So a concussion is a brain injury. Um, and it's an acceleration. Basically what happens is an acceleration deceleration injury that causes actual physiological and microstructural damage within the brain. Um, and so it causes this whole metabolic cascade and process that leads to inflammation and decreased oxygen. And it causes a functional disturbance within the brain itself. Um, and so the reason like it's diffuse, the reason you have all these different symptoms is it doesn't just affect one spot, right? And so if you go to the hospital and you do imaging, like a CT scan or an MRI, it doesn't show up. Like it's that microscopic piece of things. So when you go to the hospital and they're doing these other examinations, it's they're ruling out something more dire. They're making sure there's not a fracture or a bleed or something like that. Um, so it is a functional injury that causes disturbance and basically how the parts of your brain talk to each other. Um, that is, and I love, there's a new definition that came out in one of Letty's papers recently that it was like, it is a reversible neurological dysfunctional injury, which is so nice to see in a paper. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolute concussions are treat 80% of people recover just fine. Mm. 
20% of people will go on to develop persistent concussion symptoms. And we don't fully understand why those 20% do. There's theories and thoughts, whether it's, you know, socioeconomics or um, poor acute management um, and those sorts of things, but we don't have any like hard and fast, like we don't know. And because what interests people is the severity of the concussion isn't necessarily one of those predictors. Mm. So, interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm so interested because you're talking about your story and the emotional side of things. And mm -hmm. you talked about concussions being a functional injury. And, and I can relate, I have a background in sports. So see this a lot, especially like, you know, in football and in high school, I had a friend who had three concussions in one game. Uh, and I think it was like his fifth or sixth total. So like our senior year, I think it was our, our junior or senior year of high school, he missed so much school. And you kind of only saw the function, but I would go to his house and you could just tell, like, he, he felt different. Like he felt like he couldn't relate and wasn't doing the things. And, you know, I've coached college football where, uh, I see that. And actually, um, I had a call with a client this week who had concussions and is struggling with like, um, some memory stuff and things like that. And I love that what you talk about is like the emotional aspect. So what I'm curious is, you know, what are maybe the common ways people treat concussions? And then what are the, some of the things that you do differently? Because I can see parallels where my background is strength and conditioning fitness. And now I mostly work as a life coach and I helped people with fitness. That was really my avenue. And then I started helping people with relationships and like other aspects of their life and realized like that was actually holding them back from whatever their seemed to be their goal. And I imagine it's a little true for you. So I'd love to know, like, what are you doing different? Maybe the uncommon things that we're, we're talking about there um, through mm -hmm. your story. And then how do most people think that like uh, they can treat concussions or like what they're supposed to do? Yeah. So let's kibosh some of the old ways of doing it that are unfortunately still too prevalent. <laughs> So one is today in days, your friend should, I never should have been would have been pulled from the game after concussion number one and not continued to play. <laughs> so yeah. the whole, like the way we educate teams today and the way I'm, I can guarantee you work with your teams now, if you still do it is if you suspect a concussion, you pull that person from the game. Um, there's the risk of, again, there's still controversy, but there's still like that risk of second impact syndrome and, and more damage if you were to get another concussion on top of this acute phase of what your brain goes through. So that would be number one. Um, number two, there's no longer rest in a dark room until you feel better. That's so basically if you're listening to this and you get any of these next words of advice, go to a different healthcare provider. So, um, rest in a dark room for days on end. Don't do that. Rest until it goes away. Don't do that. Um, you didn't hit your head so you don't have a concussion is inaccurate. So you do not need to hit your head to have a concussion. Um, so those are some of the old things that are still being shared out there that are wrong. Can you say more about that? Uh, you don't so need you to hit your head. You don't need to hit your head to have a concussion. So concussion is a biomechanical force that causes that acceleration deceleration injury. So it can be a blow to anywhere on the body. It does not have to be the head. It just has to have enough force to cause that acceleration deceleration mm. response. So something like whiplash yes. could cause a concussion where you don't actually make contact. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of, you think of a lot of car, I think a lot of my car, car oh my gosh, car accident clients, um, not a ton of them actually hit their heads, but they all definitely got whiplash. And so some of the tricky things too is whiplash and concussion really mimic each other. Um, so it's then 
teasing out and ruling out, is it a whiplash, is it concussion? Does it matter in how, like, how you treat sort of thing? So um, how you treat concussion today is obviously identifying you have, if you have any of these red flags. So red flags are you lost consciousness, you had a seizure activity, um, worsening neck pain, any fluid coming out of facial parts, um, blurry vision, trouble speaking, slurring words, that sort of thing, you go to the emergency room. Um, that is step one. You need to make sure that there's nothing more serious happening. All of those things can, minus the fluid coming out of your ears can be symptoms of concussion, but you need to go make sure that you don't have something more serious happening with your brain. Um, after that, your first 24 to 48 hours are rest, like cognitive physical rest. Like that is when you do it. But after 48 hours, we now start you with gradual return to activity. That's gradual exercise. That's gradual return to life. And that the studies are showing us more and more and more that we can start people on a gradual aerobic exercise program on day four, and they have better outcomes than those that have done nothing. So there's a lot of trials out there that look at beginning light activity versus doing just like a placebo stretching program. And the, the groups that are doing that light aerobic activity on that early stage, again, you're staying below system ex symptom exacerbation though, but they recover faster than the groups that just do a stretching activity. What I say to people is it needs to be, and this, the papers support it too, it needs to be supervised and guided because there's still general education in terms of what heart rate am I actually working at? Like, what does it mean when I stay, say, like stay below symptom exacerbation? Can I push my symptoms a little bit? So connecting with a physical therapist or if you're an athletic trainer or an exercise physiologist, I don't really care so much about the title of the profession, to be honest. I care that they are well-versed in concussion literate to guide you through that process. In terms of me and where I would say that I'm probably a little bit different is, so I'm a physical therapist, but I also have training in functional neurology, acupuncture, chronic pain, a slew of other things. And I, what some and practitioner, every practitioner goes into healthcare wanting to help. But sometimes we get very stuck in here's my lens and here's what I see through my lens, right? So everything is a, everything is a nail to my hammer. Um, and where I have the strength and the ability to do is to kind of step back from that and say, okay, here's the, like, here's Matt coming into my clinic and here's Matt's challenges, both in terms of concussion, but also life. Because if you're not being supported in life, then this concussion recovery isn't going to go very well. Like support is key. And so basically I do a, like a when I say full system assessment of somebody, it's like, we look at. Yes, all those individual systems of the brain, so vestibular vision, like neck, somatosensory, reflexes, like we look at all of that, but then we also look at what's happening in life. And so how do I support you as the whole person to move you forward as opposed to just, oh, you have a vestibular issue, we're just going to do vestibular exercises and I don't care about the rest of this. So, yeah. I love that. I'd love to dive deeper into that because, I mean, this is some of the stuff we talked about on our call again is like, this is what everyone should be doing. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where you start with people. And it probably came from, like you said, your own journey. And maybe it was that incident where you got assaulted and kind of maybe is it reflecting or like we talk about gratitude. We talked about journaling, meditating, kind of, can we get an idea of what that looks like outside of the other things people think about? Yeah. So for me, I think understanding that emotional piece of things and those other factors in your life is so crucial. And so for me, and like what, when Matt and I talked a lot, it was sharing a lot of just personally what I've gone through this year. Um, and then 
carrying that over to my clients and it's been really powerful. So for me, understanding, we know that again, I love research. It's great, (laughs) but research supports what we already think it does. It's even better. (laughs) Um, So like gratitude, for example, like having a gratitude practice, we know supports people holistically and like makes increases their happiness because when you start having and identifying those things you're grateful for, you are then attuning your brain to see those things more than the negative and pessimistic things in your life. So I always say to my clients, the day that was your hardest day, the day that you felt like was just crap and nothing good happened, that is the day you 100% must do your gratitude journal. Because there is something in the shitstorm of what that day was that was good. It could have just been that you smiled. It could have been that you, like whatever it was, but there was something. So on those days that are the hardest are the days that are the most important, in my opinion, to find those wins, to find those gratitudes. Because when you start to find those small wins and those small gratitudes, they start to build. And then you see them more and you celebrate yourself as you go because this journey and whatever journey, the journey of life is long. And if we're always aspiring to like that thing at the end and we don't have these small milestones and these joys and these celebrations that we do along the way, then that is gonna feel like we're never gonna reach it. I love that you brought up gratitude. And I think I've read before that it can increase happiness by up to 20%, right? That's some of the numbers that are up there. But as you alluded to, it's not that it actually makes your life better. You're just more aware of how good things are and it shifts your mindset. Um, This is something Matt and I do all the time and with both our clients. And I love that you do this. What is it like for clients when you start working with them and you're like, all right, we're going to practice gratitude. And they think they came to you for physical therapy and they're like, what? wait, hold on, what? Like, is there a weird disconnect? Do people trust you right away? Is it a mix of both? What does that process look like? So <laughs> sometimes it's kind of funny. I will say my virtual clients and my consult clients are less weirded out by it okay. than my clinic clients. Um, but I think at this point is, I mean, anyone that any of my clientele, most of my clientele follows me, like they usually find me on social media, to be honest, um, at least my virtual stuff. So they've seen the kind of things I talk about and the way I talk about it. Um, and in like, in our program, like it's prevalent, like mindset is so key. Um, and with my one-on-one clients, yes, we talk about the rehab um, but I always pull this in, but it's, it's weird for them, at least the first time in the beginning, like, especially in clinic, if we're talking about, you know, doing vestibular exercises or I'm popping them through an exercise, vestibular exercise, and then we'll pause and I'll say like, okay, so let's talk about your gratitude journaling or like, here's something I want you to try. And then, but I always find, I will end up shifting this at some point, honestly, but usually I can find a way in. So it's not seeming so random to them. So it'll be like, you know how we're talking about this? Okay, so here's what I want you to try. Here's why I want you to try it. I think anytime you introduce something to a client of any sort, especially if it's not what they were expecting from you, um, but anytime you need to be relate it back to them, their goals and why it's going to serve them. Because I could say to anyone, like go gratitude journal, here's why. But if they don't see how that's relevant to them in their journey, they're not gonna do it. Mm. 
So pulling that stuff in, um, I challenged a client the other day to start to do a stillness practice, which is something Matt and I talked about. Like that's something that I started doing for myself a few months ago now. And my brain never stops. Like my brain is like a squirrel on a hamster wheel. And like, whether it's ideas or like emotions, like it just never goes. And I used to be very uncomfortable trying to sit still to sit in silence and not focus on my breath or not try to think about anything or just like not whatever, like just to sit, I would be so fidgety. Like I could, it was tough. It was so, it was uncomfortable for me to be honest. And so my coach challenged me and was just like, Natasha, here's why you need to do this. He's like, you need to learn to observe yourself. And you need to learn to observe the emotions and the feelings in your own body when certain things are happening or not happening. And then you need to to figure out what that means and pay attention to that. He's like, but it starts by being your own witness. And so for my concussion clients and a couple of them particularly, like this was really powerful because I would take that back to them. And I, what I love too is, and what they love too, is it's, I do what I'm teaching. So when they say like, I'm like one person, I like, here's what I want you to try. And here's, and she'll be like, I'm like, here's where I'm guessing your brain's going. And I can spell it out. She's like, oh my God, yes. How do you know that? I'm like, because it was me two months ago. Mm. But it's particularly with the concussion client is being able to have that stillness and, and you don't have to solve anything. It's just that awareness and paying attention to what your body is telling you to be like, do I want to do this? Oh, when I think about that, I get instant anxiety. Okay. Maybe that's not the right approach. Maybe we need to look at something else. So I think it's incredibly powerful to have that into intuitively trust yourself. And in the concussion population, there's a big piece where your body's failed. Some of the mindset is like your body's failed you a little bit. Like you're spending all this time trying to rehab it but you don't, you don't feel like you in your body. So some people like dissociation is a word that comes up a lot, right? They feel dissociated from their body. It doesn't feel like their leg. It doesn't feel like their arm. So you have to begin to trust yourself again, but how do you trust yourself if you can't even observe yourself? So the first step in starting to build trust in yourself again is being able to just sit in silence and just observe. You don't have to solve anything, but just observe and then we can start to layer on from there. Do you feel like your clients, this diagnosis of a concussion, like it let, it defines them or they let that define them? At- it depends on the person. Okay. Depends on the person. We're actually, we have a mentorship call coming up in our community next week. And it's all about not letting the concussion, not letting the, de- the word concussion define who you are. Um, and so a big piece of that in the beginning is, you know, it's not my concussion, it's the concussion and trying to depersonalize that piece of it. So I would say that's person dependent. Um, and I would say it also depends on how long we've been dealing with it. So what I'm hearing is that I love this gratitude practice, by the way, like, like Taylor said, we do it, we teach it to our clients and, and on the hardest days, I love that because it's, it's as simple as like, I have water to drink. I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful for all those things where it's like, Oh, life just sucks. It's like, you're not, in some hut in some shitty place with no plumbing, like, you know, you live in America and like most of our clients probably listening. Um, so it's so, it can be much easier to find gratitude than you think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then, and then pairing this with the journaling practice and, or meditating uh, is what I meant. Uh, observing yourself, kind of these two things. Um, what I'm hearing is that correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to be way harder to resolve your concussion. If you're not doing these things, if you're not settled with yourself, if you're, if you're still stressed out about other things in life, um, I'm going to say it would, it'll, it'll affect the long term. So it, I would say in the acute phase, I mean, we have these things we go through, but if we're pushing into this persistent realm and it's been years, then we have to look at the bigger picture of all the things. Yeah. So it's not that it will stop you from recovering. Um, but it's a piece of it that could slow or hinder. I, I would say in my person, there's zero research to support that one. Um, but in my opinion, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we're addressing that whole person and it, and if you're pushing years with concussion symptoms, then yeah, there's these other things we need to look at and bring into play too. Mindset, the power of mindset is huge. Yeah. Huge. I, I think that leads into a great point. Taylor is telling me and Taylor, if you want to take this over, but he was talking about, um, like, how do you know if you're getting better and how long is it going to take me? And if I'm seeing someone, is it like, it's not getting better? Well, is that just because it takes six months or, and maybe there is no correct answer. It's probably case by case, but uh, what can someone kind of expect, you know, walking into a clinic with, with a concussion? Yeah, that's a solid question. So acute phase, right? So acute is like, you get a concussion, um, you go for your first assessment in the clinic in the first week. Um, most concussions, 80% of concussions, you'll be symptom-free within 14 days, but that doesn't mean your brain's recovered yet. So your brain takes about 30 to 31 days to resolve that metabolic cascade that has happened because of the concussion. So what that means is between day 14 and and this is one of the mis mistakes, I guess, if you're going to give a mistake, I'd see people do between day 14 to 30, they feel good right? So they dive back into all of life. Um, metabolically, your brain's still not back to where it was. So if you push past or you overtax, that's when symptoms for some people will start to show back up because they've done too much too soon. Mm. So that's a piece of that, but most people symptom-free within 14 days, um, and then recovered within the month. You're good to go. Um, of course there's varying, <laughs> Things there. So they say that anyone that has symptoms beyond three months is where we talk about that. The, now that's persistent. Um, but ideally you should see a gradual improvement. Like from that acute phase, you should see a gradual improvement as you go, knowing that things aren't linear, right? So there's going to be days that you're like, you're doing great. And then there's going to be a day where you're like, holy F, like I feel horrible. Like what happened? And it might be that you've just done a little bit too much. It might just be a bad day. It might be if there's other stressors going on in your life that affect that are affecting you more that day. So I think it's important for people to realize too that recovery isn't linear. It's definitely a forward backwards process as well. But acutely, adults, two weeks symptom-free and then about a month for recovery. Cool. I, I, I love that. Uh, such is life, right? Nothing is going to go well all the time. No. Nope. And and. <laughs> I kind of like this idea where it's like, okay, I work out now that I'm in shape and I have a six pack, I don't stop working out. So what's, you know, someone sees you and you're like, okay, yeah, 30 days, you're feeling better for 14 days. And then 30 days, we need to keep doing this. And is there a point where they can, all right, I don't need Natasha anymore. I can go do my thing. What do they continue to do 
um, for themselves to continue to stay healthy, happy, things like that? Yeah. So um, athlete wise, for example, it's like if I come in, so I just cleared one of my athletes and was like, you're good. Like you don't need to see me anymore. Like all is neurological function. Good God. All his neurological functions. Good. Everything's good to go. But in saying that I said to him, like, you're not perfect. So here's things that you could continue to work on going forward. So if you want me to connect with your trainer, so option one is you can keep coming to hang out with me. If you don't want to hang out with me, I can connect you with your trainer and I'm more than happy to have a conversation of, you know what, it would make a lot more sense to challenge you in your left superior visual field with reaction times things, right? It would make more sense that you need to be like, you need to practice that like transition between like up and down off the ground and using that explosive power. Like there's always things we can do to improve. It doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be with me though. I think there's very much a point where I am, I'm really awesome at rehab. I am not a hockey trainer. I'm not a baseball trainer, but what I can do is I can use my rehab knowledge to connect with that next step in their journey, that next person on their team. I don't need to be the person that does everything. I think that's ridiculous. Who's the person who's better now at those sports specific skills that this person needs, if we're talking athletes, that I can connect with, say, okay, from the rehab side of things, he's good, but here's where he could have more. Can you incorporate this into sports-specific training? Mm. And you have that continuum for these athletes. For real life, it's the same thing in the sense of just because your concussion is good, don't stop exercising, (laughs) right? Like we use aerobic exercise as a treatment tool for acute concussion just because your concussion has gone, don't stop. <laughs> we know the benefits of aerobic exercise for healthy brains, like carries into decreased risks of dementia and cognitive issues later in life. Like continue these healthy habits. You were buckled down in your nutrition because it helps your concussion. Don't stop when your concussion is better. We hammered down a sleep routine. These are all the things we do, right? So don't we hammer down a sleep routine? Don't stop it because your concussion's better. Like these are healthy life habits that make you, if you continue them, if you can execute them in your concussion recovery, you say this to our clients all the time, they make you a freaking superhuman for when you feel better. Yeah, at that point, it has nothing to do with the concussion. Nothing. Like this is just gonna make you a better person, sleeping yeah. better, yeah, working out, all that stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. Being in the fitness industry, it's like people want that, there's that diet culture and workouts to reach a goal, but it's like, if you just make it a lifestyle, then you can have those ebb and flows and the same with gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. Do that. Even when things are good, meditate, Absolutely. Yeah, even we have a friend who, you know, talked about meditation, like prehab. And I loved that because mm-hmm. it's like, just cause things are good. Don't skip it that day. Cause it's going to help you for when you need it. Absolutely. Um, so shifting topics a, a little bit, I'm curious, what is the hardest part of your job? Oh, the hardest part of my job is when I get those people that I can't help. Okay. Interesting. So I, w- I also was thinking about asking you, do you ever refer out? All the time. So I'm really good at what I do, but there's elements where people need support that is not in my scope of practice. Right. So if someone common referral out things, um, if there definitely is a trauma history involved, they're being referred to a clinical counselor or a psychologist right away. Um, that is a piece that will 100% affect recovery. Um, if they're, if part of what we're identifying in their rehab is there is a, a very big visual piece that is beyond kind of my knowledge, I'm going to refer to neuro optometry. 
if there is concerns where, or I have concerns about hormone deficiencies or things like that, I'm going to refer to naturopathic or functional medicine or kick off to like GP to say, can you do blood work for an endocrinologist if that's a route? Um, do they need more guidance in nutrition? Do we bring in a holistic nutritionist? Do we bring in a dietitian? So depending on the person, we will figure out what works for them. I had a client not too long ago. She, she wasn't a concussion. She was something else, but I did her assessment and I said, you know, here's some things we can start to do. I said, I make no guarantees. I never guarantee anything. Um, and we did a few sessions and we weren't making any changes whatsoever, like nothing. And I said to her, I said, and finances were an issue and I'm a private pay practitioner. And I said to her, I said, you know, we could, we could keep trying. I said, but I don't know. And I would have expected to see at least something start to shift by the time we'd gone. I said, so at this point, honestly, I said, I don't know if I'm the person for you. And she thanked me and she sent me a card. And like, because I think that's the issue is I think practitioners are afraid of saying they don't know. Yes. And your clients have so much more respect for you when you look at them and say, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, I think this is such good advice for business mm -hmm. because it's, and that's why I wanted to get into this because I'm so glad that you said that. Like you can still be an expert and refer people out and you can be an expert and admit that you don't know. And that's actually what makes you world-class. Like before we got on here, I was talking to Matt and I have a fitness client who um, has been to PT and is we've been working together two weeks. So we've hardly done much and there's still a lot of pain. And I'm just like- I'm about to have a conversation with her and I'm going to refer her to a PT that I trust because this is out of my scope. And like, it's exactly like what you said. And um, it's because I care and I'm not going to just, you know, and I talk to a lot of people, I think in, in just any area of life and business. And they just, there is a time, like you had said, where you're, you, in the beginning of your career, you took a course weekend certification and, and you're trying to learn all the things, but then also it's like, it's actually, that's what an expert does is they're like, okay, I'm not the best person or I know everything. It, yeah. it ends, it kind of ends up being like, if you can't help them, then they continue to see you. Now you suck in their eyes. Like you're not getting the solution. And yeah. like you said, you're better off referring out so they can get the help they really need. And then they'll respect you way more for it. Yeah. I mean, and I'm super clear with my clients too. If like, I can say to them, like, there's like, here's where I need to tap in. I know I need to address this. I'm like, but I need to find a back door because their system just can't tolerate the direct approach. So typically what I'll say to people in that scenario too, is like, can you bear with me and work with me for a few sessions, knowing that this is a bit exploratory as we try to find our way into your nervous system. Hmm. And if they're not cool with that, cause I will like, that's exactly how I phrase it. If they're not cool with that, I'll say, okay, like, what else can we do to support you? And who can I connect you with then? Or they're cool with it. And I'll say like, okay, let's give this a shot. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. It comes back to communication. That's exactly. we're on the same page. Uh, I already have a plan for this phone call with my client and I'm going to give her two options. I have more ideas how, how we can shift things, mm-hmm. but I'm not hundred percent sure it will work. So I'm going to say, yeah. we can keep trying this and I'm going to be honest about that. Or I know someone who I'm very confident can help you. It might be more expensive because she is also cash-based PT. Um, but that's like, we're, we're touching on all the things today and I love it. <laughs> it's so key for business and personal yeah. life. 
Yeah. So Great. speaking, speaking of this, and I want to shift gears and kind of talk, spend the rest of our time talking about this entrepreneurial journey. And yeah. you said it at the very beginning of the podcast, where it was like, I had this choice to make and you're like, okay, talk to your husband, take this shift. And I'm going to spend 12 days or whatever it was in the library, making a business plan. But you kind of just brushed over that of this giant decision to do the, like, I could go take this safe job, maybe go to another clinic or like, nope, I'm going to start my own. So mm -hmm. what was that decision like as you're sitting there and did, did admit this might've been before you were ever meditating, but did you have to sit there and like, obviously you have the conversation with your husband and what was that situation like to, to dive into? And I would that? love to just add on to that question. Cause you said, uh, it all just clicked in the last year, but you've been a PT for 10 years. So maybe kind of answering Matt's question of like, so I'm curious, what year was it that started, how that got, how mm -hmm. that went? And then it just now clicked in the last year. Yeah. So the, the just clicked in the last year was the concussions specific passion. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did not meditate when I decided to open my own practice. <laughs> That's yeah. been a growth. That's been a growth journey. Yeah. Um, so basically for me, it was sitting down and being like, okay, I'm in a new town and no one knows who I am here. So for me, it was, I'd always been raised with, you know, you need a consistent income. Pensions are good. That sort of thing. Monday to Friday, nine to five. The but Canadian I, dream as they call it. Right. The Canadian but when dream. you <laughs> looked at, like when I looked at what I had enjoyed and not enjoyed from my previous two jobs as a physical therapist, right? So I worked in the hospital system and I worked at a private clinic. And my biggest frustration, not so much with the private clinic, but my biggest frustration with the hospital system was that if I had an idea of something I wanted to try, I had to run it through my supervisor. And then if my supervisor thought it was a good idea, it had to go through a workflow process thing so that maybe 12 months down the road, you could try it. Mm. And that whole, like, I get that our big systems need policies. I get like, cause knowing they, not everyone could just go off and do their own thing. Um, but I hated that. I hated it. I hated having, not having freedom to try things I wanted to try that, you know, I'm the therapist that if I read a really wicked study that had solid outcomes and I have a client that that study made me think of, I want to be able to try some stuff. And not having that freedom in my practice to do that or to try a program or to like launch a wellness series or whatever it is, was a big thing for me to be like, I don't know if I can go back to the hospital system. So when I, when I was here and my choices were literally go to the hospital system <laughs> or I could find someone else's clinic, which I actually did do for like two days a week in the beginning um, or start my own thing where I truly get to be my own boss and have my own brainstorms and create programs that I think best serve my clients. Also knowing that my husband had a steady job mm. was very helpful. Yeah. Right. So it gave me a little bit of, it gave me a little bit of risk freedom, let's say to know that we'd be okay. I mean, I still had to make an income, but if it was a little bit less for a bit, as I built this company, we would be okay because my husband's income was steady and consistent. Yeah. It's nice to have, that some of that security. And I know we talk about, yeah. you know, pursuing your happiness and it's like, well, do you want to continue doing something you hate or like, let's take the risk and go for this. And your risk is minimized by having your husband's income. It was. But even people like 
we've talked about this, like, you know, I moved across the country and was a personal trainer. Like you don't have to do that, but you could like start up the side hustle at least a mm-hmm. little bit. So you still have your secure income or yeah, maybe you do need to Uber for a little bit while you build the business. If you don't have a husband who's got income, you know, another income, like maybe you do need to Uber. So that money is going towards growing this business and, and really pursuing your passion. Yeah. Well, in that beginning phase too, like I, again, like new in town, no one knew who I was. No one wanted to come work with me. Mm. (laughs) Like therapist wise, they were like, this is a brand new clinic with this girl that no one knows who the heck she is. Like no one knew how I practiced nothing. So no one wanted to take their chance to come join me. So I worked like five days a week, like nine to seven some days to make my clinic run. And then slow, I like slowly started to build a reputation and then people came and joined. And as I was able to hire staff, my goal has never been to treat clinically five days a week, every week, ever. I knew I would have to in the beginning, right? Like that's putting in that time, right? 100% had to. And then as I could, I started to draw back my own clinical caseload to the point now where I treat one week a month and I do intensive style basis. So people fly, most people, people come into the city to come work with me for a week to rehelp them rehab their concussions. And then they go home and then they have a virtual care follow-up. I was one of the first clinics in Canada to offer virtual care, wow. right? So it's like, that's where I, like I won Entrepreneur of the Canada, Entrepreneur of the Year for Canada for that. Like I got to do a keynote speak on Parliament Hill, which was crazy. Um, and having my own clinic and having my own business and being my own entrepreneur has let me chase these ideas and these dreams. Believe me, they don't all work. <laughs> there's definitely been some, but I was like, well, that wasn't thought out very well (laughs) and it crashed and burned. Um, But having that freedom, that was the piece about why entrepreneurship, even to this day is still like my heart fully. What was it like going virtual at that time? I imagine it it maybe seemed absurd for the industry, right? In today's world, going through COVID helped a lot of people like us who do things remotely. And, you know, Matt and I talk about all the time. It's funny, like in the corporate world, I have so many friends who were like, could never work remote, never work remote. They're like, no, no, no. All of a sudden everyone had to. And all of a sudden these companies were like, oh, we actually didn't lose productivity. Um, So what was that like for you? And, you know, what was your mindset like to just go after that? When I imagine a lot of people were like, why are you doing this? Like, this is not what's done in this world. The amount of people that were like, you're a physical therapist. There's no way you could do this virtually was crazy. I, at one point I spent, so I spent a ton of time researching if I was even allowed to do it in the beginning and like how much freedom did I have to do this? Like, were there borders of where I couldn't practice? Um, And there was, I'll never forget it. There was one college in our country who said to me, Natasha, I fail to see how you could have our people's best interests at heart that someone in our own province couldn't do. And I was like, Mm. wow, did you ever miss the boat Hmm. on, I'm like, the reason I actually reached out to you specifically is because there's someone in your province who her closest physical therapist is five hours away and no one else in this country does virtual care. So I was met with a lot of that. I was met with a lot of PTs that were like, it's not possible. Like, there's no way you can do this. So it was tough. Like it was most definitely not a main source of income (laughs) in my clinic, but I was determined to do it. I was determined to still have it on my website. I was determined to do it whenever it permitted itself because I knew, I knew that it had a place. I knew it could work. And I knew that at some point my profession would catch up. 
um, that I refuse, there were definitely some days where I'm like, frick, should I just like, where I wouldn't have a virtual client for like three months. And I'd be like, should I just take this off my website? Like, should I should even just stop saying that we do this? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then, and then COVID happened. And I had a coach at the time who I'd said to him, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm in a good spot, honestly. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm just going to flip all my people to virtual. I'm like, I'm already set up. I'm like, we'll just call our clients. And like my whole clinic was flipped in two days. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, well, yeah, this is what I won that award for. And he's like, how did I not know this? And I was like, well, I don't share it very often. Like, I don't know. And he's like, Natasha, he's like, you need to teach other people how to do this. And I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know. Um, and I ended up creating, like within five days, I created, launched, and taught a live course on how to transition your brick and mortar clinic online. And I taught that course live three times. And then I made it an on-demand for last year. But like in three weeks, I made $90,000. Yes. Because yes. all those clinic owners that didn't think it could work before, it was their lifeline. So I knew at that moment, I'm like, I know how to do something really well already. And I've done all the research. I can literally give them like, here's the plop this in and go for it. And they were, so they were flipping their clinics in four and five days completely to then continue with virtual care in their clinics. So that feeling of like something that I like, I knew like frig was it a grind, <laughs> <laughs> but I knew it would have benefit to then be able to help so many people in that window was pretty awesome. Yeah. I have chills. This is incredible. Like think about how many things in our society and life that we wouldn't have if somebody just gave up and they faced resistance. And, you know, for our listeners, if you're listening and there's something you want to do and it seems audacious and maybe seems a little crazy, like, you know, had you given up, you wouldn't have been able to help your clients. A lot of other people wouldn't be able to help their clients and people that need help to get better would not be helped because of COVID. And like, I love your determination and that you, you know, I really think it, it ties back to like, I was going to ask you, and then you went right into it. You have a very clear defined why you said, because you knew that this was a need and you were passionate yeah. about it. So you just followed that regardless of what everyone else said, which yeah, is and super cool. It was crazy because la last year was a gong show for everyone, I think. And so I did this course, but at the same time, that's also when my partner and I launched concussion compass. And so then for me, I am the queen of, so I deal with anxiety. And so my way of dealing with anxiety sometimes is to just keep doing, I'm a doer. Um, and sometimes that doing leads to doing, trying to do too much. <laughs> and then I start to drop the ball on things. And, and more, so more anxiety and <laughs> exactly right. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, and so this is where stillness practice started to come in. And like this awareness practice was really important and powerful in me. And we talk about this healing journey for me is because I started to recognize the behavior patterns that I was doing. Um, and although they, everything I do comes from a place of heart, every single thing, like I will not embark on an adventure. I will not embark on a, a like of anything unless I, it fuels me and I see a purpose and a need for it. But just because I see a purpose and a need doesn't mean I can always execute to the level that I want to execute if I have like five things on the go. <laughs> so in December of this year, no, not this last year, 
(laughs) it was this hard kind of moment for me to be like, okay, I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to run my clinic. I'm trying to treat my clinic. I'm trying to be a partner in Concussion Compass. And I'm still trying to support people in the telehealth world. Um, And I was like, something has to go. And for me, when I sat down and looked at it, I was like, okay, what am I really passionate about? Like I'm passionate about all of this, but like when I think about my future and I close my eyes and you say three to five years, like what's your vision? It surrounded my clinic and that being that force in the concussion world and changing awareness and education and treating clients. And the telehealth piece didn't fit into that. And so for me, it was like, there were some, like, so I was the first, like, so I was the first person to get a course out during COVID. Like that was me. It served, it had a season and that season helped a crap ton of people. And I will never, I never, I will never regret that. But as my season passed, then other people started stepping up and were having their seasons and being leaders in this world. And I very happily like passed the torch, let's just say onto those people who are now doing really awesome things in the virtual world and taking it to a whole new level, which is super exciting for me as well. Cause that just means more people are going to do virtual so I can still do my own virtual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I think it's so awesome. You got us both fired up. We never talk over each other. This is like, it's not, um, but I think you got us so fired up. I, I love what you said about going where your heart is and being passionate about it. And it's not a, yeah, you had a 90 K launch when COVID started um, but that's not what's fueling you. That's not what's firing you to do, make your next decision. And I, and I work with some clients who, and I know they're like, Oh, put out a t-shirt and they sell like five t-shirts. They made a hundred bucks. And it's like, okay, congratulations. They're doing things for the wrong reason and doing things for the money where it's like, no, how can I really help people? How can I best serve my client? And, and that comes right back to you. Like, am I going to be fired up to continue doing telehealth? Like, no, like you said, it had its season. It had its purpose. And I helped a ton of people and you could launch this program again and probably make another 90K launch or more or better. Um, but that's not what you want. You would only be doing it at that point for the money. Yeah. Um, and kind of shifting gears on that topic though, I remember you told me you had this 90K launch, no marketing. You did, oh, yeah, it, all, no, there was none. You did it all through your relationships. And I just wanted to touch on that real quick yeah. um, because you started in a place where no one knew you, all this stuff. So you had to start a whole clinic by yourself. And I imagine that was a lot of building relationships. You have this 90 K launch all through building relationships. Can you just talk on relationships for a second? Yeah. So I, nothing makes me more excited than connecting and making relationships with people. I think human connection is so powerful. And, you know, it's, I always joke to be like, Oh, you had this 90 K launch. And I'm like, it was a fluke. (laughs) Like straight up, like there was no, like I whipped up a landing page. There was no marketing. There was no strategy. There was no nothing. Like I, the whole reason I did that to begin with you guys was because if I could make a little bit of money from this course, then I wouldn't have to lay off my receptionist. Mm. And, and the exposure that it might give me would mean that, and if I could make a little bit money from this course, if I had clients and my therapist didn't, I could pass my clients onto my therapist so my therapist could keep making income. And will the same time, the side note is helping these other clinics. So like the purpose was never, like I thought I was like, if I make five grand, that'll be good. Like, like it was never a financial goal ever. It was like, if I do this and I can make a little bit, then this, this, and this can stay happening. Um, so when it started over the years, like, especially as I started doing telehealth, I'm always 
I'm always kind of just keeping my eye out about like who's out there, here's who's doing what, who do I get a really good vibe with that I just want to reach out to and just connect with. Um, and so when I started the clinic, uh, I was using Jane app is like the clinical software system I use. Um, and Jane app was just getting started as well. And I love being part of things from the grassroots. Like I love being like one of the first people into the, I like giving feedback. <laughs> so Jane app and I, the, uh, the, uh, one of the co-founders name is Allison. And when Allison started Jane, she was still doing all her own sales calls. <laughs> so Allison and I would kind of connect once in a while. We didn't have like a strong relationship, but you know, we'd connect once in a while. We'd ask questions, we'd email that sort of thing. Um, just for over the years from being like supporting each other as startups, like going forward. And then when I started doing telehealth, I would keep my eye open to see what else was happening in the world. And UBC happened to launch this like short time pilot project um, that they were exploring the use of telehealth and rehab. And so I reached out to the university and I said, can you connect me with the lead on this case? Um, I said, here's like, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Like, I'm really just interested in, in collaborating and, you know, sharing information. Um, and so I connected with him and I was able to support him a little bit on that initial stages of their project um, with what I was already doing. And then we could share too. So when my course rolled around um, and I built this course and I was like, okay, A, I don't, I've never marketed anything in my life. So it's like, I don't really know what to do there, but I was like, but PABC, which is our association, um, Jeremy was, Jeremy McAllister is the physical therapist who was the head of the telehealth thing. I emailed him, we like connected right away. And we were, he's just like, I'm guessing you're getting bombarded right now. And I was like, oh, I have people reaching out to me who I haven't heard from in like six years <laughs> who are asking me how to do this. And mm -hmm. same thing. So we started communicating about things and like, cause we had to get like insurance didn't fund telehealth at the beginning either. Right. So we were in this fight to get like insurance to fund it and all these different things. Um, and so when I, I reached out to him and I said, I'm going to do a course. I said, here's what I'm planning to do. Here's my walkthrough. Like, I want to get it out next weekend. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, it's good. He's like, leave it with me. I'm going to talk to the president and I'm going to see if we can blast this out like your course out to our association which is I don't know 3,000 physical therapists um, and so just having that continued relationship with him over the years they took that course they blasted it out and it's an immediate no like and trust because of who it came from I was no longer who's this PT that says she does telehealth I was getting endorsed by my association because we already had that relationship and they knew who I was and our members have the they trust who our association recommends Right. So that piece was already done. And then the other flip of it was Jane app was launching their telehealth. Like they were launching a portal, like their telehealth, actual portal piece of things. And so I reached out to them and I said, Hey, Allison, like, I hope you're well, like, I love what you guys are doing. Like they're another company that's constantly pivoting and paying attention to what's happening and adjusting as they need to. Um, and I said, I know you're launching your platform. I said, here's what I'm doing. I said, I'm teaching people how to create like you have the platform and you can show them how to use the platform i'm teaching them how to do the business side of it how to actually do the therapy side of it i'm like and i'm using screenshots from my own system which is your system so how do you like is there a way for us to kind of collaborate on this because if people are more confident in what to do they might sign up for your telehealth system as well and so there was this cohesive like relationship and so we jumped on a webinar together um 
a free webinar together to all the Jane members, which is thousands of people. <laughs> and we just did a webinar together. So showing and highlighting like a blend of what the platform can do and then me educating a little bit. And then at the end of that webinar, they promoted my course for me. Mm. So those relationships, literally those two relationships in that time, I was able to have like, A, we were able to do something cohesive and supportive of each other, but it's because over the years and over time, we've supported each other back and forth before and having that relationship and that know, like, and trust of that person, then their community automatically, you automatically have that community's trust as well. So it saves you some steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. That was, that was how that, like, that's what I said. Like, it was, it was a total fluke. Yeah. Yeah. But it's great. That's what the relationships do. And I think that's awesome. And people need to be super aware of that, of creating those relationships and what, what that can do for you. And also not being afraid to ask for help when you need it, which is definitely a huge thing. So I think, I think my final question between all the stuff you've learned, you've, you've dove into being your entrepreneur, you've been leaning into the gratitude and the meditation for yourself and obviously giving that to clients and making decisions based off your heart, not off money. Would you say, Natasha, that you are happy? I would say that I'm happy. What That's a think? great question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you think is the main source of your happiness? Uh, it's being able and recognizing that I'm in a place where I am content and congruent with what I'm doing and serving who I'm supposed to be serving. Love that. You had a purpose. It's beautiful. How do you make sure that you stay in alignment with that? Oh, that's a daily practice, my friend. <laughs> That is a daily practice. That is 100% where my stillness comes in, where my journaling comes in, where my exercise comes in. Yeah. 100%. Awesome. I love it. Natasha, it was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, Is there, if anybody wants to find you, where can they find you? If they want, they think they might have a concussion. Can they reach out to you? What does that look like? Instagram is the best way. Um, so it's just at Natasha.Wilch and you, every, all my programs and stuff are on my Instagram, um, as well as you can DM me and I will, I respond to every DM I get. So awesome. Love it. Build those relationships. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much again, Tasha and everybody Thank else you. until next time. Peace.